Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead on the Insiders, he is a newly announced presidential candidate with a main focus, climate change. He also has what seems to be a requirement these days. He has a book. Hear why Washington's governor thinks he can beat the rest by focusing on climate change, why he is not trash-talking super PACs like some of the others, plus a unique effort by an Iowa Democrat to read the books from all of these Democrats running for president. Plus, Ambassador Terry Branstad came back to this date, but here the topic about President Trump that he said he could not talk about before he left town. And in the Insider's Quick Six, the Iowa caucuses get the country's attention every four years. So what is stopping more Iowans from actually taking part? Good morning. This week, we begin with something vitally important for presidential hopefuls, more important than a super PAC organizers or a meaningful campaign slogan. It's a book. And I'm kidding. Although it does seem like if you want to be the next president, you have to have a book. That idea apparently gave Andrea Phillips an idea. Pat Ryan had also got one of his as well. Andrea is the first vice chair of the Iowa Democratic Party, making your first appearance on the show. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Pat Reiner's been here before, but he's the founder of the progressive website, iowastartingline.com. Thanks for coming back. Absolutely. All right, if you'll hang tight for a minute. Andrea, let's talk about your idea. And your, your idea is why you have a big old stack of books in front of you, which frankly is only part of the pile. Yeah, it's about half. <laughs> All right, so you come up with this idea for a 2020 book club. Where'd you get this thought? So uh, Pete Buttigieg's book came out and I was sitting on the couch one Sunday afternoon reading it and I was gonna tweet that I'm reading this book and I mm -hmm. thought, well, I don't wanna give the impression that I'm supporting one candidate over yeah, another. Yeah, because you, you have to be neutral. Right, right, exactly. Stuff. And I'm gonna read them all anyway because I'm a huge political nerd. <laughs> so I thought, well, why don't I just put it out there and see if other people wanna join in? And before I knew it, we had 400 people signed up. Uh, so what's the game plan with this? Uh, you know, is this like Oprah's book club here? You're going to launch <laughs> these people to start them? How does this work? Yes, that's the plan. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, no, we're going to we're going in alphabetical order. Okay. Three weeks per book, which puts us to mid-December. And so uh, Andrew Yang is happy or upset? You see that he's included. Yeah, I know, but he's, he's well, a no, lie, we right? add we made the list before Governor Inslee got in. Okay. And so he gets added to the end, and gotcha. Hickenlooper as well. So he okay. gets added to the Very end good. as well. Um, so every three weeks we'll read the book and at the end of that three week period we'll have a discussion. And I've been talking with all of the campaigns and they are interested in participating in some way. And so uh, Mayor Buttigieg, Governor Inslee, um, uh, Senator Gillibrand and Representative Delaney have all said that they will participate in one way or the other. And all of the campaigns have said they think it's a fun idea and they'd like to try. Yeah, definitely very unique. All right, Pat, so Iowa Starting Line's gonna have a piece of this yeah. as well. So I've been hoping for a while to figure out, to find somebody who would want to just sit down and read all of them and, <laughs> and do a review, and then this came up. Yeah. Um, but I think this will be a fun way, because you've got how many people already now uh, signed up? 400 yeah. folks. Uh, it's gonna be kind of a fun way, I think, to like crowdsource a lot of book reviews uh, for all these uh, different books, which I think is important because it is, it's crucially important to know kind of more of the personal life, the personal side story of these candidates, which are typically included in these books and 
why they got into politics in the first place. And after reading a bunch of these in the past, I feel like when you get into them, you get a sense of which which candidate is using this as basically propaganda, mm -hmm. which one's actually trying to get in and share some ideas, maybe tell a little bit about yourself. It is kind of revealing what their strategy is here. Um, how do you see the candidates using these books when they're running? It does, like you mentioned, everybody's got one. Everybody who's in this race has a book. So how are they pitching it to people? Well, I think a book is the ultimate way to figure out how you want to present yourself to the public because you have all the time that you need to decide what you want to say and what you want to emphasize and what you want to talk about. So I think uh, it's telling, what, like, you, like you said, what they choose to include. Uh, you both are, are similar in the sense to me in that you kind of stay publicly neutral about yeah. this, but you're, of course, an observer. So let's get into what, we've, what you all have kind of observed so far. Pat, so we see Sherrod Brown's not going to run. Right. Uh, Eric Holder said he's not running either, so we stand yeah, so at this four. This is the week where people are getting out, it seems. Yeah, it is. And so we're, as we stand here and talk, there are 14 in here officially. Who do you see? And if you go to Iowa Starting Line, you have all the staffs kind of listed out here, which is kind of a handy little resource here for those of us who can't remember who's with whom. Um, who, who seems most likely to get in next? Well, I think probably next is going to be Congressman Eric Swalwell. Uh, Joe Biden is still considering Steve Bullock. I'm pretty sure he's going to get in, but I think he's waiting until his state legislature. And he's uh, the governor of Montana. Get, yeah, Montana. Uh, and then Beto O'Rourke is starting to make a couple moves behind the scenes. Um, you know, who knows how many we end up uh, with here in the race. Uh, we're at 14, I believe, uh, on, on Thursday anyway. Uh, but it could expand more and more. And... Uh, there's only so much oxygen, though, for all these folks, and especially there's only so much fundraising opportunities for all these people. What can you make from these early events that we've seen so far? We do see some different styles. You mentioned Inslee, so I went up to Iowa State with him on Tuesday. Pretty mellow crowd, a couple of dozen people here on campus that were in the room to listen to him. If we contrast that with maybe Elizabeth Warren's first trip here, can we glean anything from the enthusiasm that a, maybe a Harris, a Booker, a Warren, Bernie Sanders, those kind of people have versus somebody like an Inslee? Sure. Well, you're seeing very large crowds for a lot of the best-known name folks. And, you know, Kamala Harris had over 750 people up in Ankeny when she came through. Uh, so if there's someone who's, you know, in general, like exciting and people are kind of enthusiastic, you'll draw these large crowds. But then when you're out of these events and you start talking with some of them, you'll get almost from every single person in the room like, well, she's in my top three, but I'm still mm -hmm. undecided. Right. Now, it's still better, obviously, to have 750 people come out and hear your, your pitch in person. Uh, but, you know, some of these other candidates, it's, it's not unusual for an eventual Iowa caucus winner to start small and start building up a devoted activist base. I think that's one of the uh, good things that Inslee is doing with this uh, climate change focus. Who knows how, how broad of an appeal that will have, but he's going to start out with an activist uh, core of people, while some of these other folks, you know, everyone's still making up their minds. Andrea, from your side, I'd be curious, uh, since the party announced last month how the caucus setup is going to go for February 3rd, we think February 3rd of 2020, <laughs> if New Hampshire cooperates here, maybe, but what's the what kind of response are you getting, particularly dealing with the campaigns? 
maybe how this virtual caucus is going to go. Are, are they getting into the weeds about specifics and how to gameplay this? What, what kind of feedback are you getting? No, I don't think so. And I think everybody's really excited about it because for the first time ever, you know, it's going to allow people who are shift workers or have small children or disabilities or some other reason why they can't attend. Maybe they are registered to vote in Iowa, but they don't live here or they're not here in the winter. Uh, it's going to give them all a chance to participate. So I think everybody's pretty excited about it. Uh, Pat, from your side, how do you view, you know, there was some initial pushback about is the, as you divide up the pie here, if it's going to be essentially 90% yeah. counts for the people who actually show up on caucus night, 10% this collective amount for virtual. Yeah. Is that is that going to be a source of tension or not? I mean, we'll find out. It depends on how many people participate in each. And the honest question is we just don't know. I mean, the Iowa Democratic Party had a near impossible job here, but I think they did the best <laughs> that they could uh, in finding a way to include more people. I mean, at the end of the day, the point is that people are able to participate. Who knows how different some of the raw vote totals versus delegate totals come out on caucus night, but there was going to be some difference there anyway. And there even is in primary states as well, because at the end of the day, you're choosing national delegates. So it, it, it all gets weird caucus math and <laughs> primary math anyway. Always we, we, could, we could talk about that for an entire show. Oh, we could, and I'd still be confused. All right, if you can hang tight, we'll come back for the uh, quick six with both of you. And I have to plug the hashtag uh, 2020 book club, yes, right? thank you. In case anybody still wants to join the effort there. All right, first when we come back, we talked about Jay Inslee, the governor of California. I talked to him about why he's choosing climate change as his primary issue. Here how he explains that next. Jay Inslee's been a Washington state legislator, congressman, governor, chair of the Democratic Governors Association, author, and Democratic presidential candidate. He's made climate change his main campaign issue. I asked him how that'll help him stand out when so many of his Democratic competitors also talk about that issue. As everybody we talk to says yeah. this climate change has to be a priority. Listen, uh, there are three distinguishing characteristics that make me unique. Number one, I am the only candidate, I am the only candidate who is saying unequivocally this has to be the number one priority. It has to be the first and foremost and paramount duty of the United States. We know that that's the thing we have to do if in fact we are going to decarbonize our economy and grow these jobs. And I'm the only person willing to make that statement. Uh, the second, I'm the only uh, person who has made so much progress against uh, climate change gases as a governor of a state. We have uh, built uh, from scratch, from zero to six uh, billion dollar industry uh, in our state, or six million dollar industry as the case may be, <laughs> um, a wind turbine industry in our state because of our leadership. We are now electrifying our transportation system. We have the first or second uh, highest usage of electric cars. We built a clean energy research hub and a, and a small business development hub that is really churning out new inventions and new businesses. So I've had this executive experience. And now in my state, we are developing a law um, this month to have 100% clean electricity. This is unique. I'm the only candidate who's had this experience. And third, I've just been at this for so long. I've learned the ropes. I co-authored a book. I'm the only candidate who has co-authored a book on clean energy. I'm the candidate who has helped form the U.S. Climate Alliance of 21 states. So because of my prioritization, because of my experience, and because of my commitment, this is unique. This cannot be just one item on a list to get this job done. For the Iowans who work in the bio industry, let's just talk about ethanol here. Yeah. Uh, 
primarily it works in concert with existing fossil fuels to make this blend we put in our cars here. Um, should they be nervous that ethanol will be, is that, where is that on your list? No, I believe biofuels uh, need to be a, a part of our future. And the reason is, is because they are low carbon, it is clear that they are continuing to provide transportation options. And my belief is we have to embrace all options, all technologies that are low and zero carbon. So I'm supportive of both research and development. We have a biorefinery actually that I hope can, uh, can double its production in Grays Harbor, Washington uh, with the REC uh, company uh, that will use Iowa feedstocks to feed our Grays Harbor refinery and double production. So my state has sort of a tie with Iowa in the biofuels industry right now. I hope we can succeed. Uh, one of the things that we've heard early on in this race is when it comes to super PACs. So we know that there's one out supporting you. Uh -huh. Is it a good thing, bad thing? you got some people saying, I don't want anything to do with those things. So is this the, the evil thing, a super PAC? Is it not? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, the only organization I control is mine, and that's been very successful so far. We have uh, small donors from all 50 states. We've raised a million dollars. People are responding to my organization that is dedicated to fighting climate change. Because I've been fighting climate change for 20 years, I certainly am not going to condemn another organization uh, who is fighting climate change. That's what I have been told they're about. Uh, what I am intent on doing, though, is I hope other colleagues will follow me by saying we won't take corporate uh, PAC money, I made that commitment, and we won't take fossil fuel money. And I hope the other uh, people in this race will make that same commitment that I have, because we need to break this uh, this uh, addiction uh, to, uh, to fossil fuels, including their political money. And that's why I've, I've said I've sworn it off, we're not going to take it, because we have to do something else. We have to stop these subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Uh, it's ridiculous that the taxpayers are now subsidizing these old, archaic industries that are polluting our skies and causing climate change. We need citizens to get a break and taxpayers get a break. And if I'm president, I'm going to fight like heck to take away those subsidies from the fossil fuel industry. They don't need it. They don't deserve it. We need to move on to a clean energy future. I stole this from her stag, but this is Governor Inslee's book, by the way. All right, when we come back, the U.S. Secretary of State came to Iowa, and he talks trade. We'll listen in next. This number is a record, $891.3 billion. That's the trade deficit the U.S. had with the rest of the world last year. The president's trade war with China, obviously a big part of that. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo became the latest top Trump official to visit this state. And during his visit in Des Moines, a farmer had asked him whether Pompeo could say this trade war would end soon. Here's what he said. And uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You remember how I said I'd answer almost anything? <laughs> it's just, I, I, I'm not trying to be shorter. I, I completely, I, or not take your question seriously. I, I do. I am, I am, the president is too, is enormously sympathetic to what you all are going through. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't want to predict a date or a week or how this is going uh, to fall. I, I've been part of too many of these negotiations that truly, they look like they're home. They look like you, you see a path forward only to find that there was something buried somewhere. And, and that, there's risk that that happens here as well. All right, U.S. Ambassador to China Terry Branstead returned home to Iowa this past week. He also talked trade. Here's how he views whether this trade war that's dragged on since last July can lead to a better trade situation eventually for the U.S. Even in, from my experience in dealing with the Iowa legislature, the tough decisions always get left to the last. 
And obviously, these are very critically important issues. And uh, uh, I, I will say that I feel that uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, Secretary Mnuchin, and our team, and they have a lot of, we had 70 of them that were in Beijing that were involved in the negotiations. And the Chinese had a big delegation that was in Washington, D.C. So both sides are taking this very seriously. If you were an Iowa farmer, would you be out of patience by now? Well, uh, Iowa farmers take the long view of things. And, you know, I was governor during the farm crisis, so I know farmers have been through a lot of difficulty and challenges, but I think Iowa farmers are also uh, wanting to see something that's going to be long-lasting and permanent, and not just uh, something that's going to be short-term that doesn't really solve the problem for the long-term. Ambassador Branstad also faced a question that showed how he has to be different when he talks than when he was Governor Branstad. Listen to that next. 1988 was a good year for Vice President George H.W. Bush. He defeated Massachusetts Governor Mike Dukakis to become president. But it was a far different situation if you look at the numbers from Iowa. Bush had beaten Dukakis by eight points nationally. But thanks to the farm crisis where so many people were suffering in our state, it was Dukakis who soundly defeated Bush by 10 points in Iowa. Now, as this current trade war has stretched on and threatened Iowa exports and heightened angst, President Trump has sent some of his top people to our state. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo just came here. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue essentially lives here. He's been here so many times. The president's daughter and advisor Ivanka has also been here. Radio Iowa's Kay Henderson, who is known for some of her insightful questions, had another one this past week. She asked Ambassador Branstad if he is worried that this trade war woes will mean 2020 for Trump could be like 88 for Bush. You know, I really can't comment on politics. I'm representing the United States of America and China, and that's really what my, my focus is. So, um, you know, as much as I've had experience in Iowa caucuses and Iowa politics, that is not my responsibility today. So. I, I honestly uh, I feel it would be inappropriate for me to comment on that. After that, he kind of lingered for a minute, and he knew he really, really wanted to answer that question, but it's just not allowed to in his present job. All right, up next, how to get more caucus goers, the biggest complaint and predictions, all part of the Insider's Quick Six next. Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Question one. About 16% of registered voters in our state caucused in 2016. What do we need to do to get that percentage higher in 2020? How about having virtual caucuses? <laughs> well played. Virtual caucuses and then each candidate finding about 10 to 20,000 people of their own to new people to turn in. Question two, give some free advice. I know you both have to stay neutral, but free advice for these 2020 presidential campaigns when it comes to our state. Don't ignore the rural areas. you got to get out and talk to people. And when you're in the rural areas, don't just go to, like, the main Democrat coffee mm -hmm. hangout. and Go to Hy-Vee early in the morning. Uh, all right, question three. Uh, Fourteen candidates as we stand here in the race right now. How many candidates will be in the race by the time the state fair hits in August? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go with 19. Okay. Really? Mm -hmm. You're going up? Yeah. Well, she was going to go down. We'll have people drop out. I don't know if they're going to drop out by then. Well, the first debate is in June, right? right? So I'm going to say 12. Okay. Uh, question four. Biggest complaints you hear about our state 
from candidates and staff. Well, too cold right now. Too many snowstorms. They can't. They can't get to their events. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weather. Okay. Uh, question five. This will sort of be a little bit of a repeat, but uh, the rural challenge your party has. Uh, give a specific way they can overcome that. A candidate can overcome that in 2020. I think Pat has the right idea. You have to go out and talk to the people, and you know, retail politics is all about talking to the actual Iowans. So, like Pat was saying, you don't want to just gather your county party. You need to go out and talk to real people where they are. And TV ads that focus more on your biography and why you care about these issues. All right, finally, your prediction? I predict we'll have four more people get in within the next two weeks. And I think Democrats will have a Scott Walker of the 2020 uh, field, someone who's doing quite well now, very well known, but there's just not enough money to go around for all these candidates. They'll have to drop out before the Iowa caucus. All right, Pat, Andrea, thank you both. Appreciate it. Thanks for bringing the books, too. Yeah, you're welcome. Clever idea. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week. Perhaps grab a book. <laughs> we need to do this again. We'll see you next Sunday.